Hello, everybody. We're back. Um, got some really, really interesting guests on today looking at real-world assets. We haven't really like done much around real-world assets yet. We've spoken about it. It's been like this, this huge thing, um, you know, going into particularly to token 2049. Ironically, we didn't hear much about it um, there, but people are talking about real-world assets. We've got Marins and we've got Francesco. Welcome, gentlemen. Um, an introduction, please, as to who you guys are and what you're doing. Marins, do you want to do the intro? And then Francesco, yeah, sure. give us an intro afterwards as well. Anyway, so like uh, my name is Marins. I grew up in Switzerland and I worked in capital market law. So as a capital market lawyer, and there I did this large, this IPO for these large companies. And this was basically when the whole crypto craze was going on. And I was very skeptical and stayed away from it because yeah, I thought there is no legal backing behind it. So it didn't make a lot of sense in my opinion. And then I became like a researcher, teaching assistant at the University of Zurich. And uh, my professor who advised the Swiss government on the so-called DLT bill said, I need to write an article about digital shares because this bill allows to tokenize shares, so shares of real companies. So I had to get into it. And it was just amazing what I discovered there, basically like what you can do with it. I mean, we can maybe talk later about it, you can integrate it into like something like decentralized exchanges. And this really blew my mind when I discovered it. So I did a PhD on this thing. And since then, I uh, or later, I have been working together with Francesco. We co-founded Arctol, which is democratizing startup investments through startup IPOs. So nice. you are a nerd after all, I was right. Not on the technical level. Definitely right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's on awesome. And Francesco. Level, on the legal level. On the legal uh, level. Regarding, my, regarding my background, uh, I'm Italian. I moved to Switzerland six years ago. Uh, I have a um, finance background. I have a master degree in finance. And I worked at eBay and um, as, a, as a data analyst. And then uh, in a financial, uh, in a company, uh, siding the CFO and again, always taking care of all the data reconciliation part, automatization. So everything has to do with the data analysis. Um, oh, then later on, I did a certificate of advanced studies in blockchain at the University of Geneva to really learn how to program smart contracts, get my hands on the technology. Um, yeah. Uh, all that part and yeah and later on after that co-founded Arcton with Marens uh, for me the, the the reason how I got into this is that I was invested in crypto I was investing in uh, traditional crowdfunding platforms uh, in startups and then uh, and then I was like but uh, yeah I mean like I love what I love about crypto is it's very liquid like I can, you know, trade whenever I want what I don't like about I like to invest in startups but what I don't like is that this this is a very um liquid investment and so i was like okay these things i knew about the dlt act and i was like these two things should converge at some point and that's we met with marins at an event and we started working on it okay so i mean so what is at the core of what it is that octon is doing i mean what what problem or problems are you guys looking to solve so as of now, 
in startup investment works like these, like startups need to raise funds. I mean, you can imagine like all these startups out there, Web2 startups. So like the Googles, Facebooks and so on, of hopefully like in the future, they need to raise funds. And if you want to invest in a startup, usually um, the minimum ticket size is 50,000 US dollars. And then you need to wait seven, 10 years until you can sell your shares. Because then usually the company gets listed at the stock exchange, at the traditional stock exchange, or gets a, like for instance, Facebook, when they went public in NASDAQ, or gets acquired. So another example is like Facebook acquires WhatsApp. So as a result, like no one can invest in startups because like who has like 50,000 per startup and can wait seven, 10 years. And what we are now doing is we're democratizing startup investments by lowering the ticket size. So you can already start with investing with like 100 US dollars, but that already exists. I mean, this is like crowd investing basically. What we now do differently is that you can sell whenever you want, because we have a partnership with a decentralized exchange. We see the liquidity pool there, and then people can always trade. And if you take these two things together, like lowering the ticket size, and uh, making it liquid, then that's how we think is like the future of startup investments, also like the democratization coming from. So why why would you have started out with kind of like a, a crowdfunding perspective around real world assets? Why not look at kind of like tokenizing assets in in the context of, of what your research and what your PhD allowed you to get perspective, why it almost feels like you guys have fast forwarded the whole thing as opposed to why don't we just tokenize Google shares or Apple shares and then bring them onto the, the blockchain and do the equivalent of that? Mm, very interesting question. Um, so like the DLT bill allows to tokenize any security. So what used to be like a paper can be now tokenized and that broadens the, this. You can, you can take whatever you want. Basically you can take real estate, you can take bonds, you can sh take shares. And we decided to go for, 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 sh for, for, for shares, for startup shares, because we thought uh, people would like it the most. I mean, crypto investors would like it the most because these, these, these companies, they are young they are open to new technology so they are also open to tokenize their shares they like technology and crypto investors of course they are also looking for something which is innovative which is new which is exciting and therefore we thought there we could have the biggest impact if we take the example why not tokenize like something which is listed on nasdaq first of all i mean you can already buy it there so you can just go to your broker and you can buy it there it's easy it's already kind of democratized so there's no need. And second, you would need to convince these huge companies to do that. And I'm convinced at some point this will happen, that the major blue chip will move to blockchain instead of being listed at a stock exchange. However, not as of now. And all the guys who are now tokenizing these companies, I mean, they're not tokenizing their shares. This is just a derivative. And there is huge risk for investors to invest in these type of things, to be honest. I mean, you wouldn't really need to dig, dig deep like whether this makes sense. So we are really tokenizing shares. You become a shareholder of the company, not some derivative or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Francesco, just from a from like a legal framework perspective, 
um, if we look at kind of like the the idea of real world assets, what are the like the key challenges besides obviously having to go to a, a blue chip company and ask for permission, whether you can obviously tokenize, you know, security from that perspective, what are the biggest challenges that you guys have experienced, obviously in general, but then also specifically around what it is that you guys have done? The biggest challenge, in my opinion, is that this topic is quite new and people get easily afraid for, I will say, not uh, not good reasons. So sometimes people are just, you know, they don't realize that uh, selling a shares traditionally or selling a token as shares at the end it doesn't change the substance but somehow since it's a new thing that people don't really understand they really easily get scared so when some startups like come to us and said hey uh, i would like to raise funds but then we are like okay but then you should also uh, ask to your board the permission if they would like to have their tokenized shares and then they go back to the board and people who are no knowledgeable about the topic just hearing about tokenization of shares turn them off directly turn them off like straight away without yeah. really any good reason because at the end of the day as marins always say selling a, a a paper shares or selling a share but uh, in a digital format who lives on the blockchain is literally the same thing you achieve the same goal doesn't change anything people have the same rights is really nothing changes but people get easily scared from this so this i believe is the biggest challenge that we face uh education and people understanding what this is yeah so i think in terms of the the, the process that you guys because i know that with obviously doing things by the book and obviously that's probably the single biggest challenge i think like the, the thing that i've picked up and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the biggest challenges would be, you know, obviously compliance, kind of like the legal frameworks, as you've, as you've so stated, it's kind of like people are inherently afraid when it comes to investment. Now you're obviously directing, you know, a lot of that attention to the blockchain, uncertainty, people, lack of knowledge and the rest of it. Obviously, yep. you know, education is a big part of it. But then in the process of essentially educating, Right. So your educational process and your methodology, how are you guys going about it when you're sitting down at a table with potential investors, uh, whether they're small, whether they're big, whether they're off-chain or on-chain? What is kind of like your rationale in the way that you present this process? How are you guys conquering the educational aspect of what it is that you need to do? It really depends to whom we are talking. So if we are talking to like our community, the thing the, it's the best thing is to just explain what we are doing. And we launched like a 24 lecture Twitter series, um, very open to feedback also on our Discord on it. So like there we provide a lot of transparency around it, like how it how it works. Just explain basically like how it works. Um, if we're talking to Web2 people, like investors. Um, to be honest, we, we had one, one we had one major investor, and we educate we spend a lot of time in it to explain what we are doing. And in the end, it was very difficult. I mean, they liked the idea, but in the end, it was too much basically. 
because if you, you, you I mean, you need to explain like what is a token, was it decentralized, was a liquidity pool. I mean, they like it, but they, they, they cannot see it. They, they don't believe it works. They cannot believe you can create liquidity for these low traded assets. Whereas you go to a web free guy, they instantly get it. I mean, they just see the, the, the potential yeah. in it. And that, therefore, we start talking to the web guys on this. <laughs> this is like our learning. I mean, in the end, you need to do it, but people, because the thing is, you need to, you need to prove that it works and they won't help you to prove that it works. But at some point, they also like that, to, that, that they can then uh, trade basic whenever they want. So they, I'm sure they will come, but it's not a good uh, audience to start with. So, I mean, effectively what you guys are doing is that you are democratizing the starter scenario, just for context, for, for, for anyone who's listening or watching, who's still a little bit unsure as to what's going on. And, and, and the idea here is that you're essentially allowing everyone an equal opportunity to get involved in whatever the startup might look like. How do you guys go about identifying potential startups? Is it like this process and the due diligence that you go through on your own? Or do you guys take it to a community? What is the process and kind of like the flow around that? Yeah, maybe I can quickly touch on that. Um, so like, Finding startups is actually not that difficult. I mean, we know these these guys. Uh, Francesco is now right the biggest incubator, fintech incubator in Switzerland yeah. um, at Tanity, which is above Swiss Stock Exchange. So he could just meet the guys there, which where we have high quality startups. That's not a big challenge to actually find them. Then the due diligence, that's the hard part to do it. And um, what makes it easy, of course, um, this is a real company, but like which is already a like a regulatory framework. So you have something to start with. And then what we do is we do a comprehensive due diligence. So first we start, does it even make sense to, to offer them to the public? Is it is it interesting? Is there enough growth potential? But then we dig deeper substantially. So we like with the first startup, which we did, uh, which is called Money Masters in EdTech from Geneva, and this will be the first startup IPO. We did really a deep due diligence and went into their book uh, to check everything is in order and also did help them to rectify some things. Um, but compared to uh, like a crypto due diligence, I would say it's quite deep. Also, I did that in the past as a capital market lawyer. Um, so I'm familiar with this process. Yeah, it is about, it's really about checking shareholder agreements, uh, the status of the company, um, also the contracts that they say they, they have with potential customers and clients. Like for instance, the startups, they, they, they said, uh, Hey, we have contracts with some uh, big uh, corporation, some asset manager. And so we asked them for the, all the papers. And so we really went on and checked if these, uh, were, were real. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, essentially there's a process that you guys follow. I think it's really important to, to kind of like yeah. discuss. I think there's a six there's a six stage process um obviously wanting to keep it academic because i think there is an academic process here you guys are very serious about you know the checks and balances the due diligence this is about accountability in the real world that's then obviously transferred within the context of the blockchain obviously we have a whole lot of challenges with anonymity and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day you guys have decided that you know, the way to do this is the same way that you would do it in a traditional, you know, accountable and very much a thorough 
research perspective. So obviously with that comes the due process. I don't know, Francesca, if you want to just kind of like walk us through essentially is an art this is an IPO process where you're identifying a potential investment, which is a company, and then you are essentially taking it onto the blockchain. What is that six stage process that you guys adopt? Um, what so I've been walking through the whole process of how from identification till tokenization and fundraise, right? I guess yeah. what you what you mean. So yes. at first it's really just getting to receiving a pitch deck sometimes and getting to know them. Then we schedule a call, we we have a chat and see if it's something that you know people can relate because when 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 you do crowd investing, like uh, some people are also it's a little bit emotionally so they really they need to lie they need to be able to relate to the product so if it's a if it's a, if it is a really um b2b product where people hardly can grasp it uh, like i don't know uh, interbanking software which you know uh it, it might be harder for people to grasp i mean we of course we check with our community if it's something that could be interesting for them but i mean based on this we already make an assessment. Then we check if the startup has a community, an already existing community. So this is really important in crowdfunding that also the company that we are listing, they need to do their job. It's not that like they will get funding out of inner. We have our community, we try to push them and we try to propose the best investment as possible. But of course the startup has to do their job as well. So we check if they have a community. Once like this part is over, we, as we said, we, we go into their books. So we check status, shareholder agreements. Uh, we do all the deep due diligence we just mentioned. And once this is over, so we we, we validate this, we, we, we move into the phase of actually crowdfunding. So at this phase, we actually, we have, we help them with templates that we have prepared for new newsletter emails, uh, uh, social media, so that we, they can also engage more the community, drive them on to Arcton. And the last part is really launching them. Like, so creating the a five days campaign where people can invest into them. And once this is over, we actually have our own smart contract that we have developed for tokenizing the shares. So this has been determined before uh, how many shares we are creating. So we go to the notary um we'll go to the notary for the capital increase and therefore we put all these um feature and information into the smart contract so we know how many uh tokens to mint which are actual shares and follows a rigorous standard which is the cmta standard which is the standard that's been used in switzerland um for tokenizing shares so actually i invite everyone to check out the cmta standard is the standard that's been used the most here in switzerland to tokenize shares once this is over then um the the, the money of the investors go directly into the bank account of the startup so we don't touch it we have nothing to deal with that and then from that money then a portion will go into the liquidity into the liquidity pool on camelot so this is a bit of overall overview of how the process i want to i want to i want to get into that but before we do that from the liquidity side of it i'm just really curious as to why would you look at kind of like a bank holding the money as opposed to almost an extension of the liquidity pool not being kind of like yeah. the almost like the benefactor and the holder of those funds why resort to 
a centralized entity like a bank in yeah. this case is that like a legal framework or is just can you explain that maybe yeah, i can so, okay go go my news yeah yeah, so, so we are creating like real shares of real companies and therefore there is a highly regulated process in it. So shares are sold to the public uh, for let's say 30, 30 cents or something like that. Yeah. And then people need to actually put the money in there and then in return they receive a share. And there are two ways how you can do it. And one is in one the Swiss law and one is you need to pay it into a bank account um of of a, of a swiss actually a swiss bank and uh, this is one way to do it and the other way is you can do it by accepting is as so-called but but just accepting for instance crypto it's it's feasible but the problem is then you need to display every shareholder publicly and i mean this is a no-go for for crypto investors so therefore we we need to work with banks for for that okay so it is almost like a double-edged sword it's a trade-off that you got to go with on this, especially if you want to be compliant through regulation. I mean, um, you could we could dictate but, the shortcut and just offer something mm -hmm. basically, but then you don't have shares. So yeah. this is what so this is what someone else would do. And also, I mean, the startup in the end, of course, they want fiat because these are web yeah, exactly. companies. That's what I want to mention. That those are startups, web two startups. So we want to bridge web two startups into the web three. We cannot leave cryptos to Web2 startup. We cannot just give them stablecoin. Yeah. They they cannot use it. They need to have, unfortunately, the reality of today and that we still rely on a, on a strong banking system. And therefore, we need to get the money uh, into the banking system. Otherwise, the startup really cannot deploy it. And um, and this is the, one of the challenge to get this money really into the banking system. And this is, yeah the main one a big challenge that we have of course so i find i find this to be to be fascinating because you know the thing is at the end of the day i'm definitely a DeFi maxi you know and it's like but at the same time there's also got to be like this reality check there's a trade-off here and the trade-off that i see here is that it's almost like we're part of this this process or you guys are embarking on this process essentially this experiment where you understand where the value is. The value is that we want to democratize. We want to, we want to essentially allow more opportunity to be given to more people, which is great. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that means that we get that you guys get to to make more fees. There's more liquidity. There's more cash flow between parties. Brilliant. The trade-off is that you've got to use the banking system. But I think that if you do the education and the experiment is successful, mm -hmm. there will come a time, I hope, that you could have a contract that could be essentially the, 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 the intermediary per se that would allow for regulation to recognize that as being legitimate and for the capital flow to move in and out of that contract within the DeFi context. I would imagine or I would hope that that is what happens. I don't know if that is feasible, you know, in the next 10 or 20 years, but it would be interesting to see if that would be the case. I mean, do you think that is a scenario that could play out? Or do you think we stuck with banks when it comes to this kind of thing forever? I actually have a strong opinion on this, uh, which I discussed recently with someone, is that what is, is happening, it's going to be, uh, what is already happening, and we see also with some, uh, some startups that we had are going around here, which I'm in touch with, is getting um 
is creating the, the layer for the banks who's not rely on them, but actually having everything on blockchain. So how I see uh, the future is that the banks will not necessarily uh, operate their own uh, their own infrastructure, but everything will pass through the blockchain, but still they will be the guarantor of, uh, of, of the brand, of the name, of the security. But still the, 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 the transfer of money will not happen through them, meaning that there is going to be someone in the bank doing it, but it will be on blockchain, on chain. Yeah. And we can see with all the transformation that happening now in Switzerland on on-chain funds, this is a really big trend going on here. On-chain funds is really, I mean, there's a lot of startups working on these, on digitizing funds. And I can see that in the future, banks will still be there, will be the guarantor making sure that your private key are secured, probably, because I, I doubt, definitely don't see that everyone will be able to store them securely. So they want a third party guarantor. But still, the transaction will not pass through the bank. The, the, they, they will just give you the access and it will just happen on a blockchain, um, on, 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 on a layer, on blockchain layer. So that's what I see in the future, the future of banking. Of yeah, yeah, Marin, do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, so I mean, the technology makes really a lot of sense to use it. Uh, it doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, if someone else does it, even better. But like, because the thing is, you have zero liquidity as of today. So, so like, you cannot sell your shares. You're stuck for seven, ten years. And I mean, mm. as a result, people like ordinary retail investors, they cannot afford to be stuck for seven, ten years. And as a result, they cannot invest in startup investments. So therefore, it makes sense to bring it on chain. And that's not like our personal opinion, but this is the opinion of the Swiss government as well. I mean, that for that reason, for exactly that reason, this bill was created. And but now we still have we're still in transitioning phase because we are also connected to this web two world very, very much. And one problem is what we talked about is like this transitioning to the banking system. And um, as of now, you need a bank which does that because you could, you need, you, unfortunately, you need a bank. Otherwise, you need to display the name of the of the yeah. of, of the investor. But this is just unfair because you don't need to do it if you have a bank behind it. And what we did now recently is, so we advised like the Swiss, Swiss government on this one and actually made a report where it's, it's publicly available, where we exactly said this should be changed for that reason, because it would be really good if we could um, do it without banks, basically. Just in terms of like something that, that that's really of interest for me as well is obviously what's happening, um, you know, in the US at the moment with a lot of resistance that we're seeing from the SEC and, uh, and, and it's very clear, you know, it's like the, the classic example of like, don't listen to what they say, but see what they do. And, and it just seems like, you know, in the US at the moment, there is a lot of resistance to, you know, this essentially this brave new world that is, that is blockchain and, and crypto and the rest of it. And, you know, there's a lot of argument that, you know, they're not going to progress past this point, um, you know, provided that their administration doesn't change and the rest of it. How does the US, like in terms of real world assets, I mean, at the end of the day, they are, they are the biggest player in the room, yet they are the ones that are kind of like 
you know, dragging their feet on this. How do you see, especially the real world asset market and, you know, all this, all these ideas? I mean, you guys have got a, a brilliant idea here. You're doing, you are, you are contributing to this brave new world. How does that now play into where the U.S. is and how they are kind of conducting themselves in this in this scenario? Is it important? Is it going to change? Or do you just carry on doing what it is that you're doing? And if the U.S. gets left behind, they get left behind. So in my opinion, the U.S. has declared war on crypto. Um, it is this current administration. But I think it runs deeper. Because the problem is the financial system gives the U.S. enormous power because it's centralized and it's under U.S. control. And we here in Switzerland see that every time when the um, government, the administration of the U.S. doesn't like something which is, happens in Switzerland. So it's really like under the control. Of course, it's not in the interest of the United States to relinquish this control. And I think this is the underlying reason why they hate crypto in the end because they would give away their most, maybe their most powerful tool apart from their military. And so therefore, even if the administration changes, I don't expect something great coming out of it because in the end, it's not in the interest of the United States. And it's not just crypto, also real world assets. I mean, they have also huge control over it with, with, with the traditional banking system, institutional investors, stock exchanges, the whole infrastructure is all centered around the US. So therefore, I don't think that will change anything. But I mean, for the rest of the world, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we, we are not affected by it, so we can continue doing that. So it doesn't affect us that much. It would, it would not be bad. I mean, I would like it if the US did it, because I think it would be great for US investors, citizens, and the economy. But what can if you I, do? If I can add something on what Marin said, which I am totally aligned, like, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it would be good if the U.S. at some point changed their uh, their view on this topic. But again, we are not really affected because we, we we operate in Switzerland, uh, Swiss law, and the rest of the world is basically okay with that. So we still have a, um, a big market to to tap into. But also, what I, what I thought was interesting is that there is a I mean uh, a company in uh, in Miami or in Florida operating their uh, real estate, uh, real world asset tokenization of, uh, of, of real estate, which actually uh, operates in, uh, I mean, they are based in, uh, in Florida, but they actually use the, the Swiss law and they can wow. sell these shares and this token only to people outside the US. And it's really interesting that they have set up a, a company, Marins, if I correct me if I'm mistaken, but here in Switzerland, so mm -hmm. they can actually, um, yeah, use the DLT bill and their and their product, which are American uh, real estates, they can only be offered outside the US. And and then it's interesting because you buy the token, which is a piece of a property, and then you receive your uh, the rent. In uh, in Dai or in, in stable coins, wow. these guys are a, a, a realty. Uh, I check them out; they're really good project, yeah. I think. Realty, but it's quite interesting to see, you know, how far these uh, project of real world assets they have to go, uh, come to Switzerland, move here, get in the Swiss regulation, and offer it to uh, clients who are not US based. I think that's really interesting and and it's obviously i mean you guys obviously must feel really good about that in terms of your journey as well it's like 
see, we're, we're onto something here. It's definitely something that, that has relevance. So that's cool. Really good to hear. I mean, I mean, my opinion is that, and I agree with you, Marins, it's kind of like, we need to just carry on, you know, we need to carry on experimenting. We need to keep forging forward. Um, and it's just a matter of time before, you know, the US will realize that like this is something that they're not going to stop. And it's something that they're going to have to participate in, whether they're too late or not. That's obviously something that needs to be, be tested. I wanted to just come back to obviously a really important part of the, the on-chain stuff is, you know, in terms of what it is that you guys are doing around liquidity so there's there's two in my mind the way that i see it right now is that you know you've got the 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 flow of capital that goes into um a bank account that essentially gives ownership or right to ownership to um the democracy democratization and the tokenization of whatever company that is being obviously bought into what relevance just coming back to the liquidity on chain and the agreement that you guys have with camelot can you just explain the dynamic between what's happening in the real world and what's happening on chain just so that i can understand it from the flow of capital so in the, i mean in the end everything needs to go into a bank account um, for regulatory reasons but then we again want to see the liquidity i mean we we see the liquidity pool so our goal is like uh, there we align with Camelot. We want to provide a like, deep, sustainable liquidity for their for, for for our investors. So therefore, it's already clear like from the beginning like how much of the offering goes into the liquidity pool. So therefore, we need to reconvert it basically back into USDC. Um, so we receive USDC, need to convert it into like Swiss francs, and then reconvert it into USDC. Unfortunately, so it has and to. Then, Follow, does that have to follow the chain? So it's got to go from investor to bank back on chain. Is that yeah? That's pretty cool though, because no, no, that's cool because essentially what you're doing is that you're telling the story. The story is we've got to move capital from 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 investor to bank. Everything needs to check out. Then it goes back on chain. We provide yeah. the liquidity. Does that liquidity then get used for trading? I mean, what, what is the yeah. purpose of having the liquidity on chain? Yeah, exactly. So we see the liquidity pool. We seed it with treasury shares of the startup, uh, which also can only be created under a very like restricted um, pro process and then top it with USDC so that we have a base liquidity there for investors to always trade. And then on top, we have a liquidity mining program in place with nitro pools. So we can reward like investors who on top provide liquidity with additional treasury shares so that they can earn more. That's how, how it works. And in the end is like to have a deep sustainable liquidity. And we started this um, discussion with Camelot quite early um, and they liked a lot the idea to bring real world assets on chain to make them liquid actually. And uh, their model perfectly like aligned with ours, and we saw we saw how it can be done, and then we we executed mm -hmm. it. We, we like if I can add like basically twenty percent of the funds raised by the startup will go back into seeding layer liquidity pool, uh, and that is paired with some treasury shares uh, of the same value as Marin mentioned. Yeah, this so ensures say... this ensures that the startup. In the pool, there is like almost basically at least a, a half a million in liquidity. So, in terms of the in terms of the 
the participation beyond the raise. So you've done a raise, so you raise however much you do, and 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 obviously you do your relevant uh, KYC, and and everyone is accountable. There's there's clear there's clear boundaries being set. Liquidity then gets set up on chain. If I wanted to participate as a secondary investor or someone who would like to buy uh, token slash shares, would I then have to KYC and go through the same process? How would that work post coming in as a seed investor or as an IPO participant? How would that work? So um, we do a very light KYC, not because we want to for the primary market for like when you invest, because it's because of the banks, but it's very light. It's an ID identification, so it's not even a full KYC. And afterwards, um, you I mean, this is permissionless. This is also like the idea we want to make it as decentralized as possible. So everyone can, of course, participate and buy like uh, from the liquidity pool. And there, actually, you don't need to do a KYC. You just can buy it from there and trade it whenever you want. Okay, yeah, so, so essentially, what, what, essentially, it would be like any market. I mean, you, you essentially, like, like it would be the stock market. It would be, obviously, the accountability is in place with the KYC, but the same flow, well, a similar flow of capital will happen based on, you know, active participation and people wanting to invest on a day-to-day -day basis. It's, there's no difference between the two. That's really amazing because I did these IPOs for these large companies like back in the days. And then we re I realized during my PhD that you can do exactly the same, but for startups. Yeah. And um, you, can, you can make like a public offering where people can subscribe their shares and they plus one, they can trade it. And I mean, for crypto investors, this is like something which they're used to with these ideals. But in the real world assets, this is unheard of that you can actually bring, they'll do that with a startup. Usually you need like, uh, this can only be done by very, very large companies, but now we can do the same. And it's exactly what Francesco said before. It's exactly the same as, 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 an, as, an, as an IPO, it just uses another technology. That's also yeah. why we call it an IPO. Mm. And obviously more fluid, it's, it, it moves easier, like you say, you're not sitting waiting like for those extended periods, periods of time, seven to 10 years or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Um, okay. And I think that's where the real, like for me, that's like really interesting and, and appealing, you know, like, because just coming back to like when we started this call, like, like what I found really interesting is the idea of why I call something a real world asset when you could argue, well, I was arguing at the time that it's like an asset is an asset. Why term it a real world asset? Um, and then someone eloquently told me on Twitter, which is really, really cool as well, is that, well, we need to, we need to make sense of it within the context of a blockchain. So we therefore tokenize a real world asset that has value and we transfer that value into a tokenized state. But then the important thing is that you need the liquidity and you need the ability to be able to trade and to be able to move that capital around without having to, like you say, wait, or there is not enough liquidity. And I think the next question would be, what do you guys see as being the biggest challenge, not only for yourselves, 
but just in general around this whole idea of bringing assets, in this case, real world assets on chain. Um, so the, I, I like what you said before, because the, the thing is general advice, which I would give to people is don't tokenize things. Don't tokenize real world assets because you run into a lot of troubles with banks. It makes it more cumbersome as well, to some extent, unless you have a clear advantage and the clear advantage for us is the liquidity. So if we didn't have that, we would just we would just do it ordinarily. But we think this is important for investors that they have the flexibility to sell. So then you need there is no other way. So you need to uh, you need to go uh, on chain. And the biggest challenge to tokenize real world assets is um, you have like three things which you need to bring in alliance. So the first one is like it's like a triangle. The first one is like the technology. So if you kind of do it on a technical level, it doesn't make sense. Then it's also the re regulatory framework, um, which needs to you need to comply with these rules. Otherwise, you are out of business quite fast. And then there is a business model. You need to develop a sound business model as a startup around it. And sometimes you have a brilliant idea on the technical level. It works, but it doesn't work on a regulatory side. And then you have a really good idea on the business model, but it doesn't make sense. You cannot really do it like on a technical level. So you need to bring these three parts somehow together. Sorry, this is a little bit abstract, but this is the biggest challenge I, I, I would say. Like to, because you, you can do a lot of things, but in the end, if you, if, if you cannot, come, cannot do it on a regulatory level, then it doesn't make sense, for instance. Yeah, if I can add, like, uh, if I can actually quote what uh, I saw a video of Jeff Bezos, which what for me is actually one of the, the one of the main challenges that we can call something disruptive only if there is mass adoption and mass adoption happens only if people all kind of agree and find the value into it. So in this narrative of a real world asset, we, we need to get to this uh, adoption level and uh, which is probably not the case yet. We will hope that the, the narrative is definitely kicking in and it's going to happen, but you can be definitely doing this in, uh, in the wrong time. I mean, maybe it's the wrong timing. Uh, if you were doing this three, four years ago, it definitely was the wrong timing uh, for doing it also because there was a lack of regulatory clarity. So for all this to work, we need the mass adoption and the narrative has to get in. And um, I would say that, in my opinion, this is also the main challenge. And um, I agree, totally agree with Marins on the tokenization part, like exactly like don't do it unless you have a clear advantage. And we see that um, tokenization is uh, Prove marginally the efficiency of moving assets around. That's why some funds have done it. Uh, like we know the guys of Tokeny, Tokeni that do it, and they do it there because you can improve uh, the efficiency of moving um, ownership of funds around. But otherwise, uh, just tokenizing your shares for it's what most of many startups are doing also in Switzerland and around the world, just for marketing purpose, but without a clear advantage because they don't use uh, the DeFi ecosystem and don't integrate with it. Interesting. Um, thoughts around just, I mean, something that just came to mind, like just thoughts around what, what Maker have done or have implemented around treasury bills. 
Um, is there a clear value proposition there, or do you think they're just pushing deck chairs around on the Titanic? I mean, um, so we're not in that business, so it's maybe I'm the wrong guy to, to answer that competently, to be honest. But what I would say is like to to token to 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 back like a stable coin basically with real world assets, this can make sense if it's the right asset, because yeah, because like okay, maybe let's take the example of of, of USDC, which is backed by um, currency in the banking system. We saw what happened with SVB Bank when they had like a big chunk of the money. And so therefore, this, this, this web, I mean, the TreadFi, the banking system destabilized the whole crypto system because USDC was affected over like the weekend, basically. Yeah. And now if you have real world assets which are under your control and which are stable in its value, maybe that's not the worst idea because SPV, for instance, the Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, they also had only treasury bills in their books. So it, you could hold them directly, basically. So therefore, I think it makes sense to, to, to do it like that. I mean, I think, I think it is definitely the, the whole idea is that we want to see a transference of value because at the moment, the value that has been created in crypto is so speculative and it's so obviously volatile around that speculation and and I think the importance of those kind of assets coming into the mix really does, mm -hmm. in my opinion, anyways, it gives that value. I mean, you guys are creating value around. We're seeing an opportunity within a startup that provides value in the real world. Um, they might even provide value outside of the real world in the context of blockchain. It doesn't matter. It might be, it doesn't matter. They might be like the best yield aggregator in the business that have been around for however long and they know what they're doing and then you go and you, you you find the funding and you invest in that business which you know kind of looking into the future which is great um how do you see just coming just i want to just round this off with with kind of like further examples kind of like taking it from treasury bills do you think that the whole idea of of like the real estate one that you illustrated earlier on is something that we'll see more of as kind of like a crowdfunding maybe opportunity, whether it's like, you know, high rise building in New York city and it's kind of like, well, let's try and sell it within the context of, you know, the blockchain and, and almost like fractional fractionalization of that building. Is that something that could land up playing out into the future or is it, or are we still very limited kind of so like in this frontier? If I can exactly, if I can touch on this uh, on the on the real estate part, um, yeah. I mean, so there are a lot of companies already now the day in Italy, in France. I know, I know several of them. I don't know. I'll mention just one: Risers in France. They do crowdfunding of real estate. Like really, they gather and they and then they purchase these huge houses of worth five to ten millions. And they're, they started, by the way, is super successful. And they do exactly this. They already fractionalize now that they an investment yeah. into uh, in real in a, in a real estate. And then they they improve this, and then five, ten, seven years later, they sell it and then give you back the money, basically. So that's that's how it works today. 
And I mean, to be honest, you can also try to sell the portion that you purchased of this uh, real estate within the community inside the platform. So, I mean, the, this topic of fractional. So what we always meant, talk with Marin is that this narrative of fractionalizing assets, uh, fractionalization is really um, not real. Like that tokenization doesn't necessarily help you to fractionalize assets. This can be done already with a legal contract. This is, I mean, Marin's of course, is, uh, is the expert on this and but we talked several times about it and, and it's really the case, like this fractionalization of asset is really just a, just a story tale because uh, you can already do it. Uh, uh, we don't, you don't need tokenization for that. Uh, where we see, where I see some, the value is that, uh, yeah, uh, potentially what reality is doing that they have developed uh, their own DAX. I mean, I'm not complete expert in all the details of how they're doing and how they're doing, but they have their own DAX on where people can re easily trade these uh, um, these tokens and then get rid because let's say that if I was inside the platform and I, no one wanted to buy, then I'm still stuck with this uh, real estate piece, right? Well, well, if I, if there is liquidity and there is a DEX, that can be attractive because I know I can get out whenever I want. So yeah. I definitely see real real estate um, gonna be more of a thing, uh, but on the line of what reality is doing. So really having this liquidity component that we are bringing for startups, but they are bringing for real estate, which at the end of the day, we're doing something I mean, completely different assets, but it's quite similar, bringing liquidity into something which is illiquid. So unless you have this liquidity component, then I don't see that much of the value. But if there is, then I see the value. Okay, so you've explained it really, really nicely and very eloquently in terms of the importance of liquidity and the, the option to be able to, to exit. And I'm not talking about trading options. I'm talking about the option as an, as an individual. If I want to, if I want to exit, I can exit. I have the option to do that. And yeah. I think that's critical. I never really thought of it that way. I mean, it's yeah. obvious, you know, if you're trading, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's obvious. But think, I think about it, it's like, if the, this is the reason why rates exist, while they invented all these financial products to bring liquidity, this is why ETFs exist. This is why uh, uh, I mean, all these financial products exist. Why? It's because you need you want to bring liquidity to it. Uh, rates is the same. You can invest in real yeah. estate and get out whenever you want. This mm. is the same concept at the end of the day. I mean, I think I think like one of the the, the really important aspects to you know this this whole thing is is truly understanding like where those pressure points are, and and, and I mean that's why you guys. You know, that's why, Marins, you've done the time that you've done. You understand where those pressure points are. You know, like I think a lot of the stuff that like we do is, is like, particularly from like a DJ perspective, you take a whole lot of stuff for granted. You know, like, you know, I'm going to trade Bitcoin and, you know, if I want to sell it, I can sell it while well, yeah. you can sell it because there's liquidity. There's a participation. There's active participation. The liquidity is deep enough for you to be able to sell without slippage and all the rest of it. But then we take it for granted. Um, that that's going to be the case for everything, you know, and I think what's important about this conversation for me today is not only the idea of taking, you know, in this case, a startup and, and raising the capital for it and, and making it a viable business beyond the point of the startup, you're also affording people the opportunity to trade in it. So you've gone, you've done a partnership, 
with Camelot in this case, and 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 may you do many partnerships with many DEXs on many chains where you will allow the liquidity to give people access to whatever it is that you guys are raising funds. So I really thank mm -hmm. you for that perspective, even though I understand that I never understood the extent of that perspective. And and I apologize if it was a little bit foolish, but that for me is the lesson today is that it doesn't matter how good the idea is. If you don't have the liquidity, obviously, it's kind of like irrelevant. You know, the idea is yeah. kind of lost. Um, and you've obviously identified that as such an important component to what it is that you guys are doing here. Um, I have to ask this question. So you've you've had this idea around startups. Are the other ideas that you guys are thinking about in the context of real world assets? Um, and if you are, are you willing to share what those ideas might be? I mean, yeah. Thanks a lot for for for, for that recap. Uh, I, maybe I can touch on that. Like from looking from the outside, coming more from like a traffic perspective. So I think what what crypto ecosystem, the blockchain ecosystem has used has built an amazing technology um, to for to 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 keep track of who owns what basically. So it's really an amazing technology also to make things liquid. But as of today, a lot of the things which are built on top of that and don't have a lot of value because they don't have real revenue behind it. And now if we can use, if we can bring like real world assets on chain, this is brings a lot of value into the ecosystem and helps yeah. also the ecosystem because of course you have more trades and so on. So the whole ecosystem would benefit tremendously. And the status quo, which we have today in startup investment is that you need like 50K and you cannot trade. I mean, you are stuck with your investment, but you don't know even whether it's in seven, two, 10 years, whatever. So you have zero liquidity. And with, with decentralized exchanges, this is a game changer. And uh, that's why that's how we can open the field and democratize like this asset class. And so to get back to your question, like what is like uh, our roadmap? So first we want to further expand with uh, startups, add more startups from different region, but we like equity in general, because that's an interesting asset class. That's where a lot of value was created in the past and will be created in the future. So of course the goal is then to upscale and at some point also bring larger issuers on chain. I mean, it would be a dream, like if a large, imagine like a major company coming on chain because basically the investors are there and they ask for it. Yeah. So then they will come. I mean, imagine mm -hmm. like if, if, if really a blue chip, a, a major company issued like 10% of the equity on chain, what this would mean for the ecosystem, for the crypto ecosystem, someone like Tesla or whatever, but issuing their real shares, not like some derivative or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Would you like yeah. to add to that, Francesco? Yeah, I would like to add that uh, now what we're in the future is I see definitely for us the opportunity. I mean, we were this, we had last week uh, an event with Swissborg and Metaco, who are two of the biggest companies in Switzerland. We organized a, a very cool event. And uh, what one of the participants were saying, uh, so so what, maybe I can give you some insights in what Metaco, which is a custod custodian who was sold recently to Ripple, but they are based here like two hours from us. So we, we know them very well. Uh, they're very in touch with the institutions and they see that the institution are really eager to get uh, the efficiency of, uh, of real world asset on chain. So 
they maybe some of them are not even interested in crypto because they are restricted on on investing in this asset class but they are really bullish and looking into integrating real world asset to improve for um to be able to purchase real world asset because there you can they can really improve a lot of the inefficiency of the of the system of the siloed financial system that we have nowadays if we can all put them on the same layer um and what i can see is definitely so for us it's like equity of startups is just the beginning we in the future we have open to any kind of uh, uh, of assets uh, from bond to credit we can really do anything and what we're looking is to integrate in this even more with the with the defi ecosystem in lending and borrowing so what what we hope and what we're looking into is that you you, you will be able not only to purchase real shares of a startup but also use them as a collateral to get a loans yeah. and things like this so this is uh, integrating all this world into the DeFi ecosystem, that's really uh, where the future and our future roadmap is. Nice. Love it. I think it's fantastic to hear that. I think the, you know, the, 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 yeah. the foundation of DeFi was always been around. And, lending sorry. And, and, so, and just to finish one more thing. So, yeah. uh, which last week they told us the guy of Metaco. So, uh, around the world, there are the value of all the assets is something in the 1,000 trillion. 1,000 trillion. So the value of all the crypto market is 1 trillion, yeah. roughly around now. So the real world asset potential is 1,000 times bigger than the all market capitalization of what is today for the crypto. Yeah. And there are reports saying that uh, you know, even uh, uh, five to ten percent will go on chain by 2030. So we can expect really, even even if some of these are not necessarily correct, by 2030 we will have something which is at least three, four times as bigger as the crypto market on chain today. So I mean, the, 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 the potential is really big. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. With the size, the size of the market is is really huge. Because the size of the market is huge, but also like crypto has a big edge. So for for, for illiquid assets. So therefore, yeah. there is also yeah. reason why it should come on chain. And there Absolutely. are all these reports state that because there is a reason. The reason is not fractionalization, but the reason is the liquidity. Exactly. In our the reason is not fractionalization. Yes, exactly. Okay, gentlemen, you have adequately convinced me around a whole lot of things but i really like I, I like the message around liquidity i think that's that's key here um and yeah. also the fluidity that DeFi does bring absolutely um thank you for your time uh we've reached the top of the hour we like to keep these at an hour so really appreciate your time absolutely fascinating i'm really pleased to hear what you guys are doing and and i wish you luck i think it's it's I think there's a challenge. I think you guys have got your challenges. I think you know them. You're very well aware of them. That's very obvious. Mm -hmm. um, and I look forward to chatting to you guys again in the future. There's a couple of things that that like to bring you guys back and chat about, um, but we'll get into that at a later stage. Um, but great introduction to what it is that you guys are doing and really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining. Thank you so Thank much you for having much. us. It was really a pleasure. Thanks.
Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure, guys. Um, and yeah, let's see how this thing plays out. I mean, it really is going to be interesting to see how the next 12 months look like, not only for you guys, but just for this space in general. Thank you. Yeah.